With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is the all-new All Ball. Man, do we have a great, great podcast for you. I'm super, super excited. Um, You know, there are times in your life when you reconnect with somebody, and it's a different stage in your life, and you view them very differently. When I played at Oklahoma State, I had these imaginary rivals, you know. Um, I became a guy who, you know, my worth, my value was based upon if we won and how many assists I had. And so there were a couple of guys who were competitors of mine at the time, one of which is our guest today. His name's Mark Dickel. He's originally from New Zealand. He's got a fabulous personal story. He's been a, a prodigy, a player, and a coach. Wait till you hear how he get the head coaching job of the Albanian national team. Um, let me start though with a couple of different things here, basketball wise, before we get to my talk with Mark Dickel. First thing is the love for Michigan. I love Michigan. I think what Juwan Howard's done is amazing. As I pointed out on uh, Twitter, it's not just Juwan Howard, it's the people he hired, especially a guy like a Phil Martelli or a Sadie Washington. Phil Martelli had been a division one head coach for a long time. Of course, most notably, uh, I mean, he, he was the legend of St. Joseph's and Sadie Washington, who turned down Western Michigan, his alma mater to remain as Michigan's assistant coach. You get guys who know what you don't know. And that doesn't mean you don't know basketball, but college basketball is very different. And what Juwan has done is hire people who know what he doesn't know and empowered them. And they're a beautifully coached basketball team. Uh, he's also not like shoving his son down our throats and playing him all the time. He's letting him, earn his minutes and everybody gets this year back anyway we'll see how they do against ohio state this week is look at their schedule and who are they playing you know even the penn state game which was a 
escape at home. They didn't play at Penn State. I had played Illinois. I had played Indiana. I played Ohio State here this upcoming weekend. I had played Iowa. So the best team is the Big Ten. They haven't played. So it inflates their record some. Does it mean that they stink? No. Does it mean they're one of the three elite teams in the country? Not yet. Not yet. I think that has to be proven. Um, I, I, I think it's really funny to me, these some of the NBA conversations over all-star snubs. And look, fans pick Luka instead of picking Damian Lillard or Donovan Mitchell. I think Damian Lillard's had a better year. I think Luka had a much better year last year in the second half of the year. And, and doesn't that deserve any sort of recognition? I don't know. It's a, it's a fantastic question. But I think it's interesting on how guys get really bent out of shape over all-star selections in an all-star game that none of them want to play in. Also, they don't want to play in a game that they approve. Like, Players Association approved the all-star game. There is no discussion about having it. I don't think they should have it. I think it's a waste of time. Can't hang out, can't go out, only no fans there. It's going to be super weird. But if you agreed to doing it, and it was an effort to keep all your money, and guess what you have to do? You have to do it. All right, I thought you'd like this. Mark Dickel just got back from me and the head coach of the Philippine national team. Just had back surgery, so he's been on the shelf a little bit. Um, we had a great talk. Uh, take a listen. So there's a bunch of things to get into. Let, let's just start with your current state. You had just had back surgery? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so three weeks ago, just uh, yeah, just got sick and tired of hurting all the time, you know. So just went back in, and and, and I had a surgery 15 years ago. Um, actually had it done in Athens when I was playing over there and, and, and the surgeries are so much different now. So they kind of went back in and cleaned that one up and L4 dissected me. So wait, so you had a, you were brave enough to have a surgery in a foreign country. Like that. Yeah. I was told, don't ever do that. Don't ever let them cut yeah. you there. Go home and let them cut you at home. Yeah. It, it sounded right. But at the time, man, I, I liked the idea of getting that money too. Right. So, <laughs> So that kind of kind of played into that, but no, the the, the surgery over there was good. Uh, it was just you know like so different now. Like nowadays, the the surgery is like half an inch. Back then, it was like three four inches. They cut you open, right? So so definitely back in there, cleaned it up. I mean, it already feels much better. It's just uh, you know getting older, man. You have a slow rehab now. It's going to take forever to come right. So was it was it like a herniated disc or what's that? Yeah. What's the actual diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. So I had a had a protruding disc just sitting on the on the nerve on my right side and l4 right so they kind of go in there shave it down and and all that nerve pain going down my right leg stops straight away so that was really my uh my, the, the the major uncomfortable part of it you know so once that nerve pain went away i started feeling like i could walk around and do stuff again it's one of the first things you learn when you're doing this side of it is a protruding disc protruding disc you have to make sure you're protruding disc if you don't say if you say disc quickly what's protruding is not what you want to have protruding yeah um, right i hear you man okay so like look you know obviously our paths cross uh when we played against each other twice and you led the country one year and i led the country another year and assist and you've gone on to playing and coaching and i've gone on to my thing but we grew growing up like what was your first memories of basketball well my first memories of basketball were kind of like the 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 NCAA tournament, like one shining moment, right? Like uh, we didn't get a whole lot of basketball in New Zealand growing up, you know, it's such a rugby dominated country that, you know, my, my dad was a coach and, and, and he wrote to a lot of coaches in the States to get like books, uh, you know, VCRs, you know, beta, whatever the tape was back then. Um, yeah, beta max. So that, 
Yeah, Betamax. So really, man, that, that, that was kind of my initiation. So all the schools that were good back then, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, they're kind of the same, same dominating kind of now. So like back in the day, it was, you know, North Carolina, uh, Georgetown, um, kind of grew up like with that as the focal point, like what my dream was to try and make college, right? Because yeah, but what was what was like your, your hometown, New Zealand is where? Uh, Dunedin, New Zealand, right at the bottom of the South Island. Go any further, you're at the Antarctic. Okay, so uh, I'm guessing like got to be cold in the winter, right? Cold in the winter? Yeah, re- yeah really, re- really cold in the winter and not that warm in the summer. Um, kind of temperate climate, like we might get snow down to sea level every now and then. But we get that southerly coming from the Antarctic, man, and that's not too warm, right? So anytime the winter or the wind comes from the North Island, it's warm. Anytime it comes from the south, it's cold. So, so growing up so, over there, man, different place. Okay. So, again, like, give me the, like, do you live in a house, an apartment growing up? Like, again, like, you're talking yeah. about uh, my, my only knowledge of New Zealand is um, – uh, is that the Lord of the Rings was filmed somewhere around New Zealand, which looks beautiful, but that's not all of New Zealand. Okay, so give me the. Well, I grew up in Orange County, man. It's it's a, it's it looks like everything out of the eighties that you would think of. Most of the houses look the same. They're all small, small lots or whatever. And you had to go to a park to shoot hoops. What was your, you growing up? What was it like? I had we, you know had a house. I lived really close to the ocean. You know, everywhere in New Zealand, you know, around the coastline. So. You know, I'd walked out, I'd walked down my driveway. We're kind of in the ocean. Um, we had a hoop in my house, which was kind of rare for New Zealand. And, uh, you know, not that many people back there played as opposed to now where it's actually challenging rugby is the most played sport, you know, thanks to Steve Adams and, and the influence of really NBA 2K. But really growing up over there, man, it was just different, you know, just different. Just, uh, you know, sport was everything. But the sport that I love, basketball, really no one played. So I kind of leaned on my father a lot. Uh, influence where, where, and drills. Where did and, passion for basketball come from? Uh, well, you know, initially he was, you know, like everyone else, rugby, cricket in New Zealand. You know, they're the two sports. But in the 60s, the Boston Celtics actually traveled to New Zealand and barnstormed and played. And he played basketball in our area and he actually played against the Celtics. So that was kind of when he kind of fell in love with basketball. Uh, Red Auerbach took teams over there and I think two years in a row they went there. So, so he kind of got the, the, the bug from that. Because uh, prior to that, man, you know, like it's just very, very difficult to get the information to, to play a sport like that. It wasn't really, you know, um, I think in New Zealand, you know, the Mormon missionaries had a huge part to, to passing that game on, just going around the world and teaching everybody the game. So, so my dad kind of fell in love with it like that and then, and then just really wanted to be a good coach at it. And there was really no coaches in our area. So he kind of uh, just asked everybody he knew and, and, and read as much as he could. And, and that was kind of it. So kind of when I came along and my brother came along, he kind of, he kind of used us as guinea pigs a little bit and, and tried to show us stuff and try and help us and see which one of us really wanted to go on. Older or younger brother? Uh, two years older. Right, little brother. So you get you get the benefit of having somebody to kind of beat up on you and push you, right? And uh, I I'm a I'm a younger brother as well, so I remember what completely what that was like, like trying to earn the respect. So your first your first chance to really see how good you were as a kid was how old? Uh, probably thirteen or fourteen. We didn't really have you know nowadays in New Zealand it's kind of like AAU now a little bit. You know they're playing so young, but. 
you know, the first tournament I played in, I think was under 15s, right? So right up until then, you kind of just play around outside. At under 15s, that was kind of when I was like, oh, okay, in my area, you know, I'm a better player than most of the other kids. And then when you go away to national tournaments, you start working out, man, there's not really that many other players better than you at that age either. So that was kind of the first time I realized, man, I might be able to go on and do something here. And I was little Doug when I was growing up. You know what yes, I mean? I didn't really grow. I didn't really grow till I was 16. So, so from that perspective, you know, you're kind of fighting for respect. You're kind of fighting for position. You're kind of fighting for everything, right? So when you're little, when you're young, I think it kind of helps. Yeah, my, my son's actually going through that now. I stayed back in eighth grade because I was so little. And so it really helped me. I grew like, I was like five feet tall when I was four, 14 years old. And then by the time I was 15, I went to high school. I was like five, nine, five, 10, right? I mean, just kind of sprouted. And then when I got to college and the kind of that second wave, like your man muscles come in, you know, like all those things had I not stayed back would have been, it would have been harder to compete at the, at the higher level. Um, okay. So you grew late. You're like 16. When did it become possible that you could play in college? Well, kind of then it kind of all happened at once. Um, you know, the pro team in my area, um, they'd been very, very good for 10 or 15 years. And they just had a whole lot of older players retire at the same time. So that kind of coincided with me growing a whole lot. And it was over a summer period of three months that I grew. So I just went to the trials there, made the team when I was still, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school. So I started playing with the pro team. So from that perspective, you know, I'm playing minutes on the pro team. I kind of started dreaming bigger a little bit like, man, maybe I could go on, but we'd only had one player from New Zealand before me go to college and do well. And play all. Stan Hill, he went to San Jose State, 6'11", really good, averaged about 18 sophomore year, I believe, and then left school, went to Europe and started playing. So he was kind of New Zealand's best ever player, and he was big. So that kind of set the bar like that. You know, all the imports that came out to our country, the guards, they were so good that, you know, you realize if they were just good enough to play at a Division One school, how good do you have to be, right? So, so, so who was the imports of, playing on your pro team when you were, when you were playing? Uh, a guy named Leonard King. He played at uh, Florida Atlantic. Um, man, there was a lot going back. And every year we seemed to change. But he was the main one for seven or eight years on, my, uh, on, on our pro team. So from the time I was like 11 or 12, and he played with me for three years before I went to school. So he was kind of the one that pushed me and encouraged me to, man, maybe I could go ahead and do that. Okay. So how'd you get to UNLV? Uh, Well, when I was 18, I made the national team in New Zealand and we play Australia. So those games are on TV in Australia and New Zealand. And there was a coach in Australia named Brian Gorgian, right? Who's now the Australian national team coach. He's been the Chinese national team coach seven or eight years previously, but his father was Ed Gorgian right? Brian's the brother of Greg Gorgian, who you also might know from LA, scored a million points there in high school. But, yes, of course. Uh, Ed, Ed Gorgian was assistant coach at UNLV for a long, long time when Tark was there and they were winning. So, so Brian um, called my father just randomly and said, hey, look, uh, I still have a connection at certain schools. Is your son interested in going? Up until then, uh, you know, it's very, very hard to get recruited from a place when no one's recruiting you, right? So, so it was really him. Uh, he kind of opened a few doors. And then I went to Australia for three or four months to live with him and to train and get ready. And 
And then we settled it and we kind of narrowed it down to a couple of schools. And that's when uh, Bill Baino came into play. And once, once Bill Baino gets his hands on you, it's very, very difficult to go anywhere else. Okay, so Billy back then was young. I mean, he had a good looking, like good dresser. He wore loafers at games. So what do you remember about your first time you met Billy? I just thought he was cool. Right. Like that was, yeah, the, he was cool. the first thing, you know, he was cool. And like, uh, like he treated, you know, he, he was one of the rare ones that treated you like an adult already. Right. So, you know, and he was honest with me, said, man, you're going to have to really work if you want to play. He didn't guarantee me anything, but, but he was the first coach that I kind of connected with. Right. So, so it, it was easy, man. He, he came to Australia twice. We hung out. Um, yeah. And, and just him working out with you. And that's really his genius. You know, he's just so good at helping you get better and see what you need to work on and relating with you like that. That's where we always connected was on the court. So, so it was easy, man. I, you know, I just believed in him, you know, at that point, I didn't know who else he had on the team. I'd never visited Vegas. You know, I was just really going off him. Had you been to America before? I had been a couple of times because back in the day with New Zealand national team, we'd, we'd come and play like everybody's exhibition games. So right. <laughs> we'd just take hidings, man, from everybody, right? So we played TCU one night and then we'd play uh, UCLA the next night and we'd play USAC the next night. So you're kind of on a hiding to nothing, but it was great because you got to see, you know, A, the schools and up close what they're doing, but just how good the players were and how much you'd have to improve. Had you been to Vegas before? I had. We'd kind of uh, gone through Vegas. So I'd been there for a day and a half. But, man, I was so young and naive at that particular junction. I had no idea what Vegas was, right? This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. 
Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so you so you commit to going to UNLV, and you leave home, and you've been training in Australia, so it's not like you hadn't been away from home. You show what what's it like to arrive in Vegas, ninety six, nineteen ninety six, and you get off the plane. Do you remember who? Do you, what's what's the first memories of showing up on campus? Well, yeah, the 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 first memories I have is that you know the the airport's so close to the Thomas and that you know, so close. So we went right there and Baino was there. Right. So kind of, you know, the first hour or so he's just talking, you know, then he's like, okay, you know, we've got to get you situated in your apartment, you know, so all that kind of thing goes on for a couple of days. Um, and then really, uh, my first real, okay, I'm now in Vegas is we went to play open gym. And that's when I saw some of the other players that were on the team, you know, Keon Clark, Tyrone Nisby, guys like that. That's when I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was going to be like that. Right. So so that was really it. You know, a couple of days in and starting to play with them and realizing, man, I got a long way to go if I want to play here. Yeah. Well, Keon Clark. So he used to what's interesting about that group was Keon was at Irvine Valley for a year. So he used to train at UC Irvine. There's these great pickup games at UC Irvine. And there was a point guard named Raymond Mengeleks. Yeah. And um, uh, Kevin Russian Simmons. Dude. Yeah. And then Kevin Simmons, of course, who transferred from UCI. So UCI was stacked. And then I don't remember if they got in NCAA trouble or there's a coaching change or what. But then they all left. And uh, my boy Clay McKnight, he went to Pacific. Sim- Kevin Simmons went to UNLV. So did, um, what's his name? Your shooting guard, who's the uh, NBA system. Why am I forgetting right now? Um, uh, Brian Keith. Brian Keith, right? So, so all, so all, you don't know this, but like all of our, I know all those dudes that you're playing with and working out with. Tyrone Nesby was a freak. So you show up and you're like, you know, let's see what this is like. And you see these dudes running up and down. What's going on in your mind? Well, I just, I, I just never been exposed to it. You know, like the demand for the ball, uh, yeah. the, 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 you know, like, like, dude, going back around, right? to, come yeah, back around. like I'm not going to get to shoot ever here. This is the first thing I, I was aware of. And, <laughs> and, and and rightfully, in their case, man, they do good things with it, right? So, so you know, that was the first thing. And then and then just, just the athleticism, the speed of the game, like how they move, how quick everything happens, you know, it was just all an adjustment, you know. Uh, but you had, you had great speed. Your end-to-end speed was outstanding. Did you train for it? I mean, you know your dad played, but where did your end-to-end speed come from? I just ran track, like in, in, in high school. Right. Um, you know, um, oh. and then just 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 taking advantage of, of kind of what of kind of what you've been given. Right. So I, I never really thought about it too much. Uh, I just, you know, maybe maybe out of necessity, maybe out of just like, man, they can't pressure you if you go right by them. Right. Maybe, right. maybe that's the philosophy. But but then didn't really didn't really think about it until, you know, you start coaching and you start trying to trying to encourage people to play faster and trying to do stuff like that. That really started me on the process of like shit, how can i make not make how can i help people play like that right just uh it solves a how lot do of you problems. how do you it's a, it's a great how do you get guys playing basketball well you've you, you you've got to find people that are just as fast with the ball as without it 
And that's a really hard thing, right? Because most people are too scared to make mistakes because you're going to make mistakes, right? And especially playing our position, mistakes are scoffed at, right? Like you don't want people to make mistakes, right? So I right. think that's what I think that's what scares a lot of players who have that ability to not play like that, right? So, so with me, it's just trying to reassure the players, hey, look, if you play at that tempo and that rhythm, you're going to make mistakes until you get used to it. And then, you know, it's going to be a real asset and strength to yours. Uh, you know, you can't expect players to play like that if they're not going to feel free to make the mistakes that they're going to make. So, you know, for me, a player for my father growing up, I think that's what helped me. He just didn't, you know, he didn't hold me back. He encouraged me. And so did all the other coaches that coached me when I was young. Because that would have been an easy thing to knock out of somebody just by telling them to not do it, right? So play slower. Yeah, I mean, just to I, play with, slow. With me, one of the things you try and do is you try and I've tried this with little kids is you have them run up and down the court as fast as they can and time them. Okay, now do it with the basketball. There's no reason you can't do it at about the same speed, right? If you're mm -hmm. pushing the ball in front of you and like that's the optimal speed, but it's it's really hard to teach guys to play at a and that's that's honestly like I think the hardest adjustment for when you go to college is the speed is, you know, is just different. Like when you get to the professional game and I don't know what you thought, but I thought, I always thought when you step up, especially in American professional basketball, it's the length more than the speed, you know, because the holes, everything closes up so much quicker because their length, but the difference in high school to college is guys play harder and guys are way faster. Yeah, and, right. Right. And it's really, and it's hard to replicate. And you have that youth basketball where you play, you know, you, you play a team from the city and they're going to get after you and they just have speed. At, there's no mismatch. They have speed at every position. And you have to learn to you have to learn to play at your own pace within their pace. That's a really hard thing to do. Mm hmm. OK, so you're at UNLV. I'll give you my first memory of when we came to play you guys. OK, so the year before I got there. So you're. 90s. Uh, yeah, 96, 97. You guys went to Stillwater. And Tyro Nesby dunked on Alex Weber. And like for the life for our entire, my entire three years in Stillwater, we'd always pull up that tape and Alex, big Alex would almost want to cry because it was the net, one of the nastiest dunks I've ever seen. Right. But by the time we got around to playing you guys, it was your junior year, both of our junior year. And I was in a shitty place with coach. And I remember you guys had Sean Marion. You had you, you had Brian Keith, you have Kevin Simmons, you got Casper's Cambala, like you got a squad. So what was but what was it actually like to play them? Be honest. Look, 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 man, it's not letting the cat out of the bag. We we were just too loose. You know, everything was too loose. You know, like we just had too much talent if there's such a thing. And 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 just too loose. You know, like if Billy had that job now, it'd be a different world, right? A different world. But at that time. Hey man, we're all around the same age as he was. He's 29 years old when I came here, right? <laughs> he was 29. Like, I didn't realize he was so man. young. Yeah, man. So we, he, we, he we're playing you guys. So we're playing you guys, right? And Clay McKnight, who was on that UCI team, he flew in. He played early in that day for Pacific. And I'll never forget. Um, game was kind of a wrap with like four or five minutes left to go. And Caspers comes up at the free throw. I go, yo, what you guys get into tonight? And we're like, what? What you got? We're like, we're going to the hard rock, the circle bar, the hard rock. See you there. We had never like that shit just doesn't like, look, we, we play in all, we live in a small college town. Nobody stays the night afterwards. Definitely nobody hangs out with the team they played against, but he was, he was cool. Like he was the scariest dude I had ever looked at competing against. 
and he was he was cool. Again, probably a little too cool. Don't want to hang out too much, but it was definitely it was a that was a different team where you guys were so talented, and yet uh, it was just a game, and you didn't win. It was okay. We'll go and we'll hang out. We'll go try again tomorrow. Yeah, it was a look, look, man. It was a, it was a different thing. I, I think because the expectations in Vegas had been so high four or five years earlier, and then before we all came, they were so low when Billy got the job, right? Like we kind of had a little bit of a grace period there, but maybe we shouldn't have had. Um, you know, like like I thought we were talented enough to get with anybody, but it's very very difficult no when you when, when the roster kept changing, like. You know, we we got backups that deserve to play. So if somebody has a couple of bad games, they're out. That guy's in now. So I think that was a big part of it. Guys just never got comfortable in their role. Um, and the other teams you're playing are hella good, man. Like you guys were good. Like we could lose to you guys straight up, right? So, so like I think you know, like we had a couple of tough losses, and then things would change again, and then it would be conference, right? So we kind of always got in that in that mode that it wasn't really till conference that we started coming together and working out exactly who's going to play and how much we're going to play and what's going on. What about for you? Like, what, what's it like to be the point guard of UNLV in Vegas? Look, look, it was great, man. It was everything I would have wanted it to be right. Like, uh, you know, like the hardest thing was a, the expectations, right? Really difficult. Um, you know, I, I desperately wanted to play. Um, I didn't want to sit on the bench. Right. Baino had kind of been very, very explicit. Like, look, if you shoot, <laughs> there's a good chance I'm going to put somebody else in. I want someone to run the team and get the. But it becomes very difficult, as you know, if the other team knows you're not going to shoot. You know, they tend to freaking make it very, very difficult for you. to. Right. Play and, what, like and what happens, here's what's interesting about it is like. You get to this place where you're like, look, I can make shots, but in the well, you don't have any confidence. Like, well, your coach has no confidence in you. How are you supposed to have any, you have to have such supreme self-confidence and I'm just not built that way. Right. I'm a pleaser, you know, and my, I was, I just, and I'm, I'm just assuming you're that way where it was just like, Hey, why don't you shoot? Like, well, because if I missed it, it would take me out. So I don't want to sit out. So don't shoot. And then guys start playing off you and you're, I, it's hard to watch college films sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I kind of, I kind of went through it like, like the sophomore year. Uh, we had a couple of guys at my spot get hurt, so for the last fifteen games, he kind of let me play, let me, you know, and we won our conference, went to the tournament. Uh, my junior year, first half of the year, I hurt my ankle, so I wasn't really a hundred percent. That kind of junior year was a wash, even though we had a really talented team. And then my senior year, everyone left, so he kind of let me do whatever I could shoot, I could play, and there was no one else he could take me out and. That's kind of how my career felt, right? Like if I would break it down, it was like, all right, my senior year, yeah, like I understand why he did it because we didn't have the super talent that we had previously. So you get done playing at UNLV. What happens? I get done playing at UNLV. Um, I'm trying to get ready for pre-draft camp, so I get hurt, right? Um, have a bad injury. Go back to New Zealand. Uh, four or five months, I do nothing. I go to the Olympics. For New Zealand, we automatically qualify because the Olympics is in Australia, uh, in Sydney. Uh, so we go there with New Zealand. We get beat badly by everybody. Wasn't a great playing experience. Who'd you play? Who'd you play? We played everyone, man. You, you know, we were in the group with USA, Serbia. Well, they were Yugoslavia then. Um, I believe Croatia, Lithuania, China, and Angola. We beat Angola. You got everyone Angola. Else, I was like, oh, did you, at least give them Angola. Give them Angola. Yeah, right. Right. 
but so so after that, I actually signed in Australia for the, my first two years. I played for Brian Gorgian over there again, um, which was really good. Um, you know, he kind of taught me a little bit more about the pro game. So and you kind of rediscover your game too, right? You're like, oh, yeah, wait, man, like 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 definitely, it, it's uh, it, it's different. You know, like uh, like like the college thing. You know, you, you don't realize that you're in your own little world, right? Uh, the moment you're out of it, you're like, dude, well, all right, wow, that was like it never happened, and then you're right on to being an adult, right? So, so my first couple of years, it was like, okay, how, you know, this is a totally different game. You just can't play like that anymore. You got to give these other guys a chance. You're playing with some 35, 36 year old guys that aren't trying to run up and down like that. Right. So, so it was just trying to figure that stuff out, work it out. Uh, he was great, really patient, you know, a great teacher. So work with him a lot. At the end of my second year there, he came to me. He was like, man, you should go to Europe and try and make as much as you can. That was kind of the, Kind of already kind of pushed me out the door, so to speak. Said it's time for you to go. Who are the Amer- who are the Americans you played with 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 Gorgian? Uh, I had a guy named Daryl McDonald. He's uh, very very famous over there. He's played there for about fifteen years. And Jamal Mosley, who's now assistant coaching. That's your guy. So Jamal, Mo- yeah, Jamal Mosley played for my dad from San yep. Diego. Played for my dad uh, in AAU, and then obviously went to Colorado, and now he's at some point destined to be. Head coach. It's cra- it's really crazy. Like I was doing this thing with, I have youth teams now, and and I was trying to tell these parents like, look, Cameron Sufi is an assistant with the Wizards. Like he he we played together since like fourth grade. Miles Simons assistant with the Lakers. We played together starting in fifth grade. Um, like you start kind of going through like uh, Adam Jacobson is Casey Jacobson's brother. Casey's now on TV. Like all of these guys, Adam Jacobson's an assistant at Cal Baptist. Like. So much of us, we started playing basketball and you think now, granted, it's different now because everybody has an AU team. You think there was a lot of different teams and almost all of the people that I play with are still involved in basketball in some way. It's amazing, like how it becomes part of your life and you end up making a career out of it if you really, really like it. Man, for sure, man. It's uh, and and how many, like you say, come from one area, you know, it's, it tends to be like that a lot. Like you see people that are connected right like from the time they're very young and then they're still doing it like 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 jamal was just an incredibly hard worker role player guy and you could tell like he was already thinking like a coach right like all the time right like he he wasn't a he wasn't a me guy at all right which isn't great to play as an import overseas where you're not it's really hard it's really <laughs> right? hard like it's so interesting and, and what's in, what i found interesting about it is I feel like, and I think Australians especially, but also other Europeans, like they don't like the American style of, of, of a little bit more me than we, right? Like it's just not how they want to play. On the other hand, they want, if you're coming in as an American, you're expected to be able to get the ball and go get buckets when they need a bucket. So it's like, we don't really like the way you play, but we know we need it in certain instances. So you go be you, and then you got to fit in with us the rest of the time. Man, man, 100%. Like, like they want you to be like that on the court and they want you to be like them as much as you can off the court. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what they want because, you know, they're getting the, you in there to do some things that the guys on their team can't. That's why they're getting you there. So they're expecting you to be able to do that. So, you know, I kind of saw from Jamal that the enjoyment level for him wasn't the same as what it was in college. I could see that straight away, just the expectations different. Whereas in college, he had such a good system, coach, all that. He really, uh, he really enjoyed it there at Colorado as opposed to, 
you know, it's just hard, man. You know what it's like. You play overseas. It's not easy. A couple of bad games, man. They're looking at you sideways, right? So, so I can Every, see him everything's coaching already. Everything's a vacation. Oh, you go to Australia. It's awesome. It's like a vacation. Like, yeah, no, you have to do a job, and they can send you home if they don't like you. Very simple. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cotto Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you played you played in, in Greece. Biggest question everybody asks somebody playing Greece. Did you get all your money? Yeah, I did, man. Because, you know, like, wow. yeah, like I, I've always been lucky because I played on kind of big teams. We always played in Europe, right? So I, I kind of got lucky. My, my first two years, I played at Fenerbahce in Turkey. So, you know, like, and we had good teams there and I played well. So I kind of never had to sit in that tough spot until I got older. You know, I was kind of 33, 34 where the money started getting funny. But I had a good 10 years over there where it was. It was pretty decent. Like I heard the stories, but I never related myself to that because I wasn't having to go through it. When I played in Russia, not only did I get every penny, but I actually left because I had to go to Lakers Summer League. I left and I had like, they owed me like $7,000 or something for my like bonus from winning the Russian League Championship. And I had every friend I knew about was like, how could you leave without getting your money? I was like, well, like the guy could only give me 9900 to bring back in cash. 
And, you know, like my wife had 9,900, I had 9,000, like it was like, whatever was left was somehow we had like 7,000. I was just like, just wire it to me. I just want to get the hell out of there. I want to go home. And cause it was like mid June because everything was pushed back. Cause the Olympics, cause the Olympics that year. And uh, sure enough, like a week later, like popped up my bank account. They're like, no way. It's like, yeah, I got every penny that I was owed. But I heard the horror stories and I experienced a little bit of it in Israel. They just did stupid stuff in Israel with the, with the money. Uh, okay. The coolest country you played in was what? Turkey. Yeah. Funny, I, I love not the first person to say that. Why? Uh, just man, man, the people, man, they love ball. Um, you know, they're educated about basketball. The people over there are great. I, I just liked it. The food was awesome. And I was young still then too, Doug, you know, I was only 23 years old. You're really young. You, you know, you don't have kids, wife, all that yet. You just, you know, you're just trying to find your way and, 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 and I think I got lucky going to the clubs I went to, right. The clubs I went to were, were, were really good and well-run and you know, kind of had me feeling like I'm not missing out anywhere else, you know? Um, and, and, and we did well without ever winning the championship or whatever. We did well. It was really enjoyable. Um, you know, and, and I felt like that's where I played my best, right? Like, uh, I was healthy for the years that I was there and that makes a huge difference. What, um, who, who is your coach there? Uh, I had three or four different coaches. They tend to they tend to change, but the the legend in that club was a guy named Ida Nurse, right? He's a very very famous coach. What? what how do you say it? Iden Orse. Iden uh, Orse. Yeah. And, and did he coach in English? Did he speak in English? Like what was what was? Uh, what he, 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 like? speak, no, no, he'd he'd speak in English. Um, he could speak great English. Uh, you know, when I when initially when I got there, I was the only foreigner there when I first went there. The other foreigner was Serbian, so. You know, they don't, Serbs and Turks, they didn't like him either. So like, they were kind of looking at me for a long time, like, what am I like, right? But after a while, no problem. They speak English with you because, you know, I'd heard that no one over there speaks English. But man, they spoke English. Once they liked you, man, it was just like anything else. Coolest city in Turkey? Well, Istanbul. I mean, I like Ankara too, but but Istanbul, man, is great. You know, I, I, I lived right in Fenerbahce, right? Uh, beautiful, beautiful place, man, right on the waterfront. What favorite food? And I like all the different soup, man, over there, like in the soup and bread. I, and, I, but I, I remember the stuff. I remember the coffee in Turkey being unbelievable. Like I'm, I'm a big coffee guy. And I remember like okay. Turkish coffee where they had that stuff. They like heated up on some like rocks or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like people go crazy for the coffee there, but like like all the stuff, man. I, I ate all the street food there, which I never did anywhere yeah. else. You know, like. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the chicken kebabs, you know, just never see any pork over there, man. They've been in a Muslim country, but everything else, beef, chicken, lamb, all really good. Yeah. Oh, you're so you're in your mid 30s, right? Yep. Your body's breaking down. Where are you playing? Uh, I had my last year in Greece then in a, a city called Trikala, right, which is probably three hours drive from uh, from Athens from a coach that I played for five or six years earlier. And at that particular junction, man, I'm just hanging there for a paycheck, right? Like I'm like, look, man, I, I can make more money doing this than anything else right now. I know I want to get into coaching. How do I do that? So I kind of had that transition year uh, and was hurt the whole year. You didn't right? play? So I, I did play, but I just played in the games. I didn't practice at all. So I'm hard, but... Because we do get to an age where when you don't touch a ball for a long time, when you start to the first time you back, you make everything right. And then it's the second day back. So you probably had that without practicing, right? <laughs> like I'm feeling more, good. 
Yeah, well, well, I mean, you know, like if you're not trying to do too much, you know, European basketball, especially as you get older, man, at that particular junction, they're going from two imports each team to now you can have four. That, that That's kind of what happened. And 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 my ankles were so bad that, year. look, I, I could probably take, you know, pills or injections before the game to get through the game, but there's no way I could practice day to day or do any of that. So, so I kind of just tried to get through the season as best I could and then plan what I do next. Were you networking at the time and talking to your coach or was this just kind of a plan in your head? Just, just, just a plan in my head. Um, you know, it, it's really hard because uh, I'd always wanted to coach in college in America. Or, you know, that was always my dream. Right. But it, it's just so hard to know where to start. I mean, a whole lot of my friends were doing that already. Um, a lot of the people that mentored me and that that was what they were already doing. Um, you know, and, and, and at the same time, my kids are young now, you know, they're four, three and one. Right. So I'm kind of in my mind, I'm like, man, I'd love for them to see New Zealand, you know, where I grew up. Cause I knew if I came back here and got in the system straight away, that's all they, they would have ever known. You know, they're all born here in Vegas, which is not a bad place to live at all, but you know, I definitely wanted them to know where they're from or where I'm from at least. Right. So, you know, I started looking at opportunities in New Zealand, which was which was kind of different because there's not a whole lot of coaching opportunities over there. So, what you what was your first coaching job? My first coaching job was in New Zealand. It was as a director of development. So, what that is is for for that area, you're kind of in charge of anything that's not the professional team, right? So, so any of the age groups, so from under ten, under eleven, under twelve, under thirteen, you've got to try and find coaches and and make sure that they're working on the stuff that you think they should be working on. And, and I coached every age group from under eight, under 10, under 14, under 18, under 20. Um, and I still played on our pro team and I was player coach of that team. Right. And I played pretty badly and coached relatively well when I was on the sideline and vice versa. When I was in the game, very, very difficult to be a player coach. Um, so you're a player head coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that very very interesting. Like my dream it sounded good you know like especially when you start you know like ah, i combine two jobs i make double money right no yeah. it's not really that simple right so so really really because the season in new zealand's only for four months of the year so the pro season so we kind of play in between the australian season so you know that's only for a short period of time my real job was coaching director of development in the area that i grew up dunedin right what so, um so, so like, do you, did you still have a passion, like to go to the gym and work with kids? Did you find yourself immediately passionate or were you like, man, this is it's hard to get out well, of the gym every day? Well, I, I guess I was lucky because <laughs> I, I just got a group of kids where I was from that love basketball. So they gave you the energy to want to do it, you know, and they were all different ages. There's probably 40 or 50 of them all from like 11 through to 16 or 17 that really didn't have aspirations, but just loved the game. So, you know, our, our school started at nine o'clock over there. So I, I, in the morning, so, so I kind of got everyone in at six 30 and we started training for a couple of hours. So that's kind of what gave me the impetus to really want to do it. Right. Okay. So six 30 in the morning, how old were these kids? Uh, all different ages, boys and girls from say 12 to 16 or 17. Okay. So what's your, what's your philosophy with say, I got, you got an hour, you got an hour. My 11 year old son's right here. So I need to, so you're, 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 you got an hour with 11s and 12 year olds. What do you want to focus on? Uh, or skill development and then let them play for 10 minutes at the end. You don't play until, you know, you don't play until all the skill development is done. Uh, most important skills, 
you know, obviously uh, shooting, passing, dribbling, you know, so you just work on the, the same generic fundamentals that you want everyone to work on. So you try and get that over with. Uh, if you have two hours or if you have an hour, you just break it down so that you don't ever let them play to the point whereby they feel like they're coming every day to play. That's for their own team or their own coach on their own time, right? They're coming there to work on their game and try and get better. So, you know, that, that was really the change in what I wanted to stress because, you know, most of the teams that I'd ever been on, the coach just talks about what the team is running and what the team is doing and executing and all that. I, I kind of went all the other way and was like, I don't care what we're going to run but I want everyone to be able to shoot, dribble, and pass. So just you, you, you have that. to have the requisite skills. I think when I started, first started coaching kids, um, you get super frustrated by you tell them to do things and they don't do it, but then you start to realize like, hey, did I actually coach those things to you? Did I teach you how to do it? So the, I, the process of like breaking things down. And, and so now what I've kind of taken to, and I've always done this a little bit as a broadcaster, but uh, pointing out, when I first got into broadcasting, there was a guy named Dan Steer. Dan hired me and he hired Fred Frischilla. Um, and he said, you know, look, the, what you do as an analyst is you got to answer the question, why? Right. For uh, There's a lot of people that tell you what, but you don't need to see what. Everybody has a television. They can see what just happened. Oh, that's a great dunk. Yeah, no shit. Right. How did he get open? Why? Where is the mistake right. in the deep? Right. All the stuff that when we watch film as players or coaches or as a coach, like we point things out. How can you do that in a concise fashion? Well, so I've started doing that with kids, which is like one, you do, you do the fundamental drills, then you do something bigger and then you blow the whistle when they, when something happens, for example, we do a drill that my dad always taught. It's called monkey in the middle, right? Very simple. 15 feet apart, one guy in the middle, he's challenging the ball. You're faking a pass and making a pass, right? But so oftentimes we get, you get into, you're playing against the defense and a kid gets it on the wing and he's got somebody cutting into the post or standing open and you've got to blow the whistle and you say, this is why we did monkey in the middle. There's a defender in between you and the, where you want to throw the basketball and you can't just throw it straight away. You got to fake high and throw low. And so I, I think I totally agree with you. It's like the, it's like the, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. Like they're there for a reason. And so oftentimes we you're torn because you want to have the fun workout, but the fun work, the fun comes from when you actually can master the rudimentary mm -hmm. skills. And that's a, that's a hard thing for, it's a hard thing for little kids, you know, it's like, Hey, you just got to trust me. If you do this passing, catching and cutting the actual playing stuff gets way easier. Yeah, man. And, 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 and like you said, man, most, most kids nowadays, they, they want it immediately. Right. And the fundamentals do not come immediately. They yes. take their, their time Years. to come to you. Right. So, so it's just it's just trying to make that process fun, you know, uh, and, and young people make it fun, man. They make it fun for you because they get so much enjoyment out of just playing. You know, as you as you get older, that that tends to be the first thing to go and it becomes a job. Right. Whereas when you're around young people, man, they keep you young. That's a great point. And it's something that I felt when I was in when I played profession, which is like I wanted to win. I'm a competitor. I want to win every game. Okay. It's not, it's not, it doesn't, you don't lose your competitive drive, but I do feel like it became like a job. Whereas in college, every game I lost, like I was devastated by, it wasn't just for me. It was for all of us, you know, for your coach, for your school, for your teammates, like there was, and there was a true joy in playing. 
I didn't necessarily have the joy of practicing. I didn't, you know, like, you know, it gets, you get to college practice after a while. You're like, Oh, we used to go forever. But I do think the joy of playing is something that you have to find a way to, to uh, uh, facilitate the, 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 the growth of, right. So it is still fun. Right. And, and that's, a, that's a, okay. So here's the question. When you're player coach in New Zealand, you know, when you guys would lose, would you be critical of yourself? Like, what, how do you, I mean, how do you, the guys call you coach? The guys call you Mark? Like, what was, nah. like, that nah, thing is really interesting here. Yeah, it was, look, it was, it was just awkward all around, right? It was, it was awkward all around. Well, Bill right? Russell was a player coach. He won championships now. It's not, it, it seemed to work for him. Yeah. The difference is, man, like, this is where I worked out that you can't do it very well, right? Is that in our position, you're out the front. You don't see anything that's going on. You know, Bill Russell's position, he's at the back. He can communicate and tell everyone what's going on. He can actually see who's doing their job or not. I had no idea behind me who was doing what. So when I'm looking at film after the game, then I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can see where I'm messing up now. That makes perfect sense. But during the game, you know, it just becomes hard. So, you know, I obviously had assistant coaches on the sideline helping me in that. But, you know, they don't want to overstep their bounds and try and tell sure. you what. You know. Plus, you're like, you're like the legend. Like the last thing they want to do is tell Mark Dickel what he didn't see, right? <laughs> well, which was probably a lot, but yeah, look, there was definitely a part of that. So like, you know, the first couple of years I played a lot, the third year I hardly played, man. I just tried to do the job as best I could. Um, okay. So you get done. Um, by the way, you played in locomotive, right? You played in Russia, yeah. didn't you? What was it was cool. I was cool. I just should have never left Turkey, man. I should have just never left. Just stayed you know, there the whole time? Yeah, well, you know, it's you know what it's like. It's so hard to get a reputation where you've proved yourself, you right? Know, and that you you don't feel like anymore on a couple of bad games you can be out, right? Um, you know, and and it, I we had status done there. So, yeah, and and like I'd done well enough to whereby now I wasn't doubling my money by going to Russia. That didn't make a whole lot of sense, right? So, you know, I just let the advice I had at the time kind of sway me a little bit. I mean, I don't regret going to Russia. Great experience in that. But for my wife, Ashley, kids in that, I mean, we would have far rather stayed in Turkey. Okay. Um, you, your first national team stint was with the Albanian national team. Now, yes. here's what I think about Albania. I thought that was the place everybody had the fake passports from. Yeah. Right? Yeah, now, I remember when I was playing, and I could get an Israeli passport, but other guys, like I had a buddy I played with in college, and he, he has an Albanian passport. It's like, what? How the hell? Yeah, Albanian passport is like, man, twenty grand you get an Albanian passport. Yeah, you can play as a postman B. So man, did you, you have, already know, right? So did you have any Albanians or did you have Americans? Who did you have on your team? Man, we had a we had a whole mix, man. We had a you know like 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 a whole lot of the players throughout Europe have Albanian ancestry or parents, right? So you know it, it was it was interesting. We only had three players on our national team that were that were born and raised there. Um, all the rest of them play professionally outside, either in Turkey, you know, Greece, Russia, Italy. A lot of uh, Albanians play in Italy um, in the lower levels over there. So really interesting. I mean, the interesting, most interesting part about that is that, you know, I was playing in Greece at the time and and I was still playing in Europe. And, and we played the Albanian national team in like a practice game before the playoffs start. And, and, and they came right up to me after the game and said, do you want to play on our team? So I was like, sure, I'll play, right? Like, obviously, if the money's right, I'll come and play. You know, like uh, at that time, I hadn't played on the New Zealand national team for three years. So naturally, you can play for another association. So I went over there, uh, came to find out I can't play on their uh, national team. 
But you could the coach. coach. And the head coach just quit and said, you can do it. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. So that was kind of how I got the first gig. It wasn't planned. I didn't go over there with the, the thought of coaching. They kind of just said, here, man, go ahead and do it. So, okay. So when you're coaching, did you just run some of the system stuff that you ran in Greece? Some of the stuff you liked in Turkey, some of your own stuff. How did you formulate what you want to do? Man, I just did whatever I had thought worked previously or that other people had done against me that it worked or that you know like just tried to steal everything i could from the other coaches and so like what so so your your style as a coach and granted obviously you got to fit it to the team and to the personnel you have okay so like like then or now uh, let's start with then because it's interesting okay. i've evolved as well like you, you totally right like, okay i look, believe look, that's look. what i used to do man, man most definitely well look look man i i, I kind of thought you know and keep in mind i was 34 then right so i kind of thought then Man, I want to I wanna play through the bigs. We had good bigs, right? I want to slow it down because we don't have a whole lot of good guard play, right? Like this was personnel driven, what I was thinking. Um, and that's kind of how everyone in Europe played, man. You know, like no one was kind of playing up tempo or playing like that. It was, you know, protect the ball, try and keep the score in the 50s or the 60s, try and out defend them, play a lot of zone. Um, so I just kind of fell in line with that. And we played in Eurobasket B division. So we didn't play any of the top teams. So we didn't play Italy, Greece, any of that. We were playing like Cyprus or Switzerland or, you know, good teams, don't get me wrong, but you can compete with them, especially with the players we had. So, so I didn't really want to make it too difficult. Um, we, we had really good talent. We just weren't that organized. So man, I just tried to slow it down and play through our bigs. We had three seven footers that could all play and shoot. If the guards played too fast, they quit and would walk up and down the court. So I kind of had to placate them a little bit. And, uh, man, we had some success, man, but it, it's just not easy in Albania trying to replicate anything. Everything changes, man, like overnight. You know, like you think it's one way and the next day you wake up and that player's gone and there's another player in, right? It's just a, it's just a different you place. you had no control over it as coach? Oh, man, they, like uh, – like control. What, what what did I control in Albania? I controlled what time I got to the gym. I controlled what we did once I got to the gym. And I controlled who came in and out of the game. Other than that, <laughs> I was just uh, following orders, man. That's a different place. Okay. Um, your most recent stint was with the Filipino national team, right? Yes. What was it? Because I know there's an incredible passion for basketball there. But they just have no size. They just have no like Jordan Clarkston's like the only thing, right? They hope they can get him back to come play. Like, what was how'd you how'd you get that gig? Well, uh, three and a half years ago, um, you know, kind of kind of was outgrowing New Zealand. Started looking at opportunities elsewhere, right? So, you know, got the opportunity two or three quarter years ago to go to Manila and coach a pro team over there, talking text. Uh, Baino had actually coached that team in 2003. Yeah. So that was kind of the connect with the, with the team over there. Um, yeah. So, so went over there, our team was really successful outside of winning, um, winning the championship, which is very, very difficult to do over there. I mean, there's so many, there's so many talented players and talented teams, but just like you said, no size, you know, and especially internationally, that's what, what traditionally holds them back. So usually what happens is they naturalize a big guy. Right. So, you know, previously the, the big guy they naturalized was Andre Blatch, but he actually retired or they said he's no longer on the team when I got the job. So we just went with straight uh, Filipinos. We have one young Filipino who's over playing with the G League select team, Kai Soto, who's pretty talented. Mm -hmm. 
right? But he's kind of an old school big, right? He's kind of like not really that athletic, but can really play, really skilled. Um, but he didn't play on the national team with me when I was there. So, you know, we didn't we didn't have a whole lot of size. We just played quick, uh, you know, put five shooters on the court and spread everyone out and try and take advantage of the of the opportunities we get. Give me your craziest Philippine story. Well, just my first day there, man. The the you know, like I'd obviously been in places where the traffic is bad, right? But but so I get there at like five o'clock at night on a Friday, and it takes me five and a half hours to get to the place I'm staying at. And it should take about 20 minutes. Wait, five and a half hours instead of 20 minutes? And it should have taken about 20 minutes. It took me five hours to get. And, and that was when I was like, oh, I don't know if I can deal with this place. I'm not going to tell my wife, Ashley, about this traffic because she will not want to. You know, it was like that one. Right. It was I, I just couldn't believe it. And we didn't move. I'm talking. We didn't move. Yeah. So, like, you know, I could have got out and walked it in an hour and a half. Right. Like it's like that type of thing. And the people are everywhere and nobody adheres to any rules regarding traffic. Right, they just go. That reminds me of like Russia. Remember Russia, like Russia, you go to like McDonald's in Moscow and there were no lines, no rules. Like, I just felt like in Russia there was no real rules. They were like yeah, it really just cuts in, right? Like the whole cut just in. Suggestion. I didn't get that either. Everything was just suggestions. It's like stop signs, basic rules, anything, just a suggestion. You know, if you have money, oh well, that's it's totally different if you have money. You know, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, an amazing like we live in the, this is the same universe I live in. Now, did Manny Pacquiao ever show up to try and work out with you guys? No, but I, I did see him at a couple of games in that. I mean, he's just obviously a god over there. They love basketball over there. It's yeah, like, it's what they know, man. And like, and it's really interesting because they're not suited for that game at all. Right. No. Like, you know, body type was, I mean, it should be really soccer or football or something like that. Right. But, but man, they love, love it. Who? They know it. They're really educated in it too and great fans. Um, you know, like the PBA over there that I coached in the pro league, great league, really good players, you know, been a long time running. No, it was good, man. Like really good basketball education, but uh, but two and a half, three years was long enough. Yeah, that's right? that, that's a lot. Okay, so now what now? Well, now, man, just trying to get on something over here. Um, you know, I felt like, you know, I'm kind of 10 years into this coaching thing now and I'm 44. Um, you know, I see a whole lot of my friends and colleagues and that guys I played with are over here excelling, right? Uh, you know, kind of really proud of them, but but want to get amongst it, man. You know, uh, I think I have a lot to offer. Um, yeah, and, and just love the game. Um, you know, I, I watch as much Plus as I can. Plus, you've seen it from I mean, so many different angles. It's interesting that you've coached, but you know this from playing. Like, if you've played and you've played in all these different countries and all these different systems, like, it's like that when, when Nash got the job, when people were, like, questioning, like, well, he hasn't coached before, like, have you ever played point guard? Right. Why was the? Why did he get all that hate? What was that about? Like, if there's anyone who's born to coach, if there's anyone who for the last 30 years you would look at and be like, dude, it looks like he's coaching the team out there. It kind of looks you, like he's you, doing Because you, you are – like, it's so different than football, right? And, look, I think quarterbacks could do it, but quarterbacks, they have different meeting rooms than everybody else. Like, we, there's five guys – and you can't hear your coach most of the time, right? You, and you barely, guys barely pay attention to their coach. Like the point guard is everything. And the idea that like, well, you know, you have to have, like, don't get me wrong. There's lots of administrative stuff that you don't know how to do. 
Okay. And you have to learn. I think substituting is an art, but I think most point guards know who should be in and who should be out. And you can look at a guy, know if he's gassed and he's tired, you know, but it's more administrative stuff. And in college, it's about recruiting and boosters and all the other shit. But the actual basketball stuff, like, dude, that's a wrap. You know, I've yeah. seen this 15 times over. I know exactly. I've seen this puzzle. I know I know the answer to it. Right. That's what it, that's what it feels like. The, the harder part is getting the kid who hasn't seen enough to instantly react. How do I teach him so that he instantly reacts? You know, my my, my issue is and and, you know, sometimes you'll have a guy who's a longtime assistant coach. Well, he's been a long time assistant coach. We're like, look, if you sat there, you have a lot of ideas, but you've never put them in play. And you've only seen it from the perspective of your system. Whereas if you played, like, I, I, how many, how many pro, do you know how many countries you played in? Maybe eight or nine. Okay. And then how many different coaches? 20, yeah. 25. Yeah. yeah. Right. And everybody sees, and, and though you don't agree with most of the shit they tell you, you learn something from every guy. Right? You're like, Ooh, I never, I didn't think of that. Like that was that was kind of cool. And like you said, like all the stuff that worked, you want to do. All the stuff that didn't work, you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And and the stuff that you and then you try and coach the way you want to be coached. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't because it depends upon the kid. But I I agree with like even without all of your coaching, like you've lived fifty different basketball lives as opposed to most guys. I think the problem you'll run into is in the college game. You know, it's so much of it's about basketball families. Now, so some some Aussies may help you, right? Right. Because New Zealanders are like, you guys are like cousins, right? So, I mean, they may hook you up. But what I found in the college game is it's a lot of your head coach is the head of the, the patriarch of the basketball family. And those are all your connections. Whereas, you know, Keith's in the NBA and Billy before he took a break's in mm-hmm. the NBA. and Your yeah. guys are kind of in the NBA. And you guys are kind of in the NBA. So that's where it's it's weird. It's like it's not necessarily on merit more of who you know and what basketball family. Yeah, look, look, man, I, I, I'm well aware of what you're saying, right? But my my kind of feeling is, man, I, I'll just do whatever I got to do to get an opportunity. And if I get an opportunity, once I do, it's going to be a wrap, man. I'll just take my opportunity and run with it. You know, it's it's interesting. I had a conversation with Dan Dockage, who's a former coach, now broadcaster, on the show. And we were talking about, and this is where it fits perfectly to me and you, is if you don't have a point guard in college basketball, it's going to make you look like a bad coach, even if you're not. And you look at a lot of these teams that are struggling this year. Duke's point guard play, not good. They mm-hmm. lost theirs early to the NBA draft. Kansas, I don't know why Dotson left for the NBA draft. Uh, you know, Michigan State, you lose an all-time great point guard leader. You don't have it. How, what is it like for you to try and teach somebody to be you, right? You were a leader. You were a you're the consummate and you sacrifice your scoring for your team. How, what is that process like for you to try and teach somebody to do the subtle things that you instinctively knew how to do for 20 years as a pro? Just personality, man. Personality traits are huge, right? Like, like, is he inherently unselfish? And if he is, it's going to be easy to make that guy understand exactly why you should be unselfish. And, you know, the problem nowadays you find is that so many people think they're a scoring point right? Or so many people evaluate their success each game based off how many points they get, right? So, you know, it's the, the game's changing all the time, but the, 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 the idea that the player with the ball is going to make the game easier for everyone else is still strong, right? Yeah. So how do you get people, you know, how do you get players to understand that? You know, you're actually sacrificing 
for everyone else. But trust me, the players, sorry, the coaches that know will know that it's you out there doing good stuff, right? Yeah. So, so how do you get a player to understand that? A million hours of film and evaluating each and every practice, sitting watching film with them, watching every game, watching every basketball game you get with them of somebody else, and eventually it clicks in. If you don't have that time with that person, it's really hard. Well, that's, I think, the, the hardest part about college is they limit the amount of time you have with guys. And people think it's protecting the players, but it's not. It's actually hurting the players' development in, ma- in many ways. There's a, uh, there's a smart way to do it. It's interesting you point out the ability to make people better. Like, that's what makes somebody a great player is you make everybody else kind of around you uh, better. And you, you learn about other people. And personality traits are a fantastic way to kind of um, evaluate that. It is frustrating though, when you, and I'm sure you've experienced this, when you see something and you know, what's coming, you know, it happens. And the player you're coaching is like a second late and doesn't see it. Like, how can you not, it just, you know what I mean? Cause I would guess that you and I view the, the basketball, like a play the exact same way. Right. I know that I'm reading the idea of the play is this guy coming off of a flare screen. But the second his man hedges out, I know the slip's going to be open. I know exactly where I have to throw the ball. And I, I think that I always thought that, like, everybody sees it. Then you start coaching, you're like, no, you didn't see it at all, did you? Like, no, I have no idea. I missed it. Or by the time they see it, it's too late. And you know it's too late, then it's going to be stolen. That's the part that I find to be to be the most kind of tenuous. A, a, a re- re- really interesting because, like, I had so many debates. I call them debates with players because they're not arguments right? Because he might have just seen something different. But the reality is, is that oftentimes they're looking at that down screen to occupy the other two players on the weak side of the court so they can take their player one-on-one. Sure. They're not even really looking at the play or hoping the play, you know, develops. Like, like it's really interesting when you see what the players see, you're able to work out how far they're going to go, right? Like, uh, Great point. you know, like you, 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 you go and watch an eight or a nine-year-old kid that can see the court, man. I, I tell you, that kid's going to be really good. I don't care if he grows or not, right? So, you know, passing is kind of a lost art, but I don't really know how you teach it either, right? Like, it, it's a really, it's really, really hard it's one. really hard. Really hard. I think you have to, one, you have to give them the fundamentals of and, and, and hone them, right? Every pass. First, they have to be able to throw a chest pass. They have to be able to pass either hand. They have to be able to use bounce pass. They have to be able to throw baseball passes and hook pass whenever. And then you have to kind of show them a little bit. And then, you know, then they have to see it. The problem I found is that they don't, I used to watch game. I used to come home and watch the big East. Cause I grew up in California and the big East was on at four o'clock every Monday, big Monday. Right. So I'd watch all these dudes, a lot of West coast guys and you're watching them. So I come home and I watch and then I go and shoot outside. Right. Or I go to practice, whatever. And kids, I don't, they don't watch games nearly as much. They'll watch highlights and stuff on the yep. phone, you know? Yep. So I got a text today from my son where he saw this on TikTok, some way to beat a zone. And it's kind of what I've been telling him, but it's the first time he's ever shared with me a video. And I was like, I was like almost in tears. Like, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. Um, okay. Dream scenario for you in five years, you're where? Doing what? Man, I'll, I'll be a head coach of a college team somewhere. That'll be a, a dream scenario. I mean, now are you guys gonna I, be like? Are you guys gonna be like St. Mary's, bringing a bunch of Aussies and a bunch of tall blacks in there, or are you gonna uh, you're gonna have some fellows too? I'm gonna, gonna have people from all around the world, man. Turkey, 
Australian museum. Turkish connection. Oh, that, that, that's not an issue, man. I got, got people over there that are itching to come. You know, to me, to, to me, it's, uh, you know, with the way the rules are now, you can just transfer people in. I mean, there's no excuse to not be great every year. I mean, like if your program's right and they can see that what you're doing is successful and you're churning pros out, meaning guys either going to the NBA or overseas, why would they not want to come? Right? You don't have to sit out a year anymore. I mean, there's really no excuse to be bad one year and bad the next. Right? They're kind of taking those excuses out now. Well, we'll wait till you get your own head coaching job and we'll see if you, you, you agree with that. I, I do agree. But right. again, you come up short in a point guard, dude gets hurt, you got to kick a guy out of school, guy leaves early for the pros you didn't expect. Like there's all kinds of, all kinds, all kinds of craziness. Or you sign a guy and then he gets offered a pro con. You sign a foreign kid and he signs a pro contract, you know, to, to, to stay home. Um, okay, a couple, couple last bit. The best player you ever played against could be anywhere, anywhere in the world. The guy who's just like that guy wore me out. Uh, Khalid Alamine in, in Turkey, he he got me a few times, and, and, and I didn't really like it that much because I thought he was fat. He is right? fat. I got to be honest. He's right? fat. Like, he's but, really good. But, but, he's but I'm fat. But I, you know, and it kind of hurt my feelings because that's the only thing I wasn't right. So, yeah. so but he was just really clever, really good, and and he talked shit the whole time too. So it just made it worse, right? But uh, but but he was really good. He was great in Europe. Uh, he, he should have been a 10-year NBA guy. I thought he was super talented. Um, who else was good? Okay, I, I've been told, like, in Australia, uh, you know, you, you you go and you play ball, and then you go get pissed, right? You, get, you go drink, and you have a great time. Is 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 the mentality the same for New Zealanders as it is for man, Australia? Man, completely so. I, I, I'm not a drinker, never been a drinker, so that's not my thing. But, yeah, that's completely it, man. Like, there's two games. It's a game on the court. And then there's a game afterwards. So they're trying to win both of them, right? But but this is also culturally what makes it so enjoyable to play there is that both play, you know, players on both teams are all cool. There's not that animosity or hatred or envy or any of that. They, you know, they play hard in the game and then have fun off it. Um, did you think Mellow Ball would be this this impactful this early? Yes, I thought he'd be. I thought he'd do better than what he is. How come? I mean, he can man, really his, pass. But, really but, pass. but what's his gift? His gift is passing, yes. Yeah. And he's huge. He's 6'8", so he can see over the defense. So it's just a, the matter of opportunities. How, you know, when, when I saw him play in the Australian League, the first thing I noticed is, man, he sees over the top of the defense. He sees everything. If he can ever hit a shot consistently, man, that guy's going to be unguardable, right? And, and I didn't think his defense would be as good as what it has been in the NBA because he was really bad. In yeah, Australia, really comparatively, that, that, that was my that was my problem with him was like there was nothing there defensively. Now he also avoided contact a lot when he drove, but he's a better. The problem that his brother had was his brother was a bad shooter, but also a terrible finisher. And he's actually a pretty good finisher, and he knows how to use his body. He's got he's got a little bit more kind of shit to him, you know what I mean? In terms, of and finishing. he's the youngest, dog. He's yeah, the youngest, yeah. man. So he, you know, come on, man. He, he's been sitting there watching everything, and he's smart. He's incredibly intelligent. I heard that from the players that he played with in Illawarra, Australia. Like, really smart. Studies film, works hard, uh, not an ego guy, right? Like, cool, right? So I, I kind of thought he'd do what he's doing, to be honest with you. I'm not surprised at all. Um, okay, la last thing. Um, what was the coolest Vegas moment? Like you're in Vegas. You mentioned you're coaching the 
Filipino national team, you're coaching a pro team. So Pacquiao was at, was at games, but in Vegas, when you guys were good, it was a, you guys were like the Lakers of the town. It's a who's who at big games, or maybe when you went out at night, just give me one cool Vegas story. I mean, there's so many, right? All right. So we're at the Hard Rock Hotel after we play a game. And always um, circle bar. We were there. Circle bar. and I, I lived right behind there at the Paradise Bay Club at the time, too. And I, I think I was only 19 at the time, which is neither here nor there, right? And I looked like I was about 12 when I was 19. So I don't know why I was in there. But I, I can remember being in there, and and I forget who I was with, someone from the team. And he tapped me on my shoulder, and he was like, hey, look, I think that guy over there looks like Tom Cruise, but he's way too short to be Tom Cruise, right? And so I looked over at him. And you got to remember, there's no internet on us back then. Like, how would we know how tall dude is? He looks tall in the movies, right? Like Top Gun and that. He's playing ball, beach ball. He looks tall. So I look over at him, and there's two bodyguards there with him. So I was like, dude, I think I think that's right. I think I think that's Tom Cruise. So I go right over to him, and I, I try to go near him, and they stop me from going near him. So that's when I was like, damn, that's Tom Cruise. And I just couldn't believe that, A, he was out there where we were and that the dude's only like 5'2", 5'3". I just couldn't believe he was I that short. No way. He's not that small. Man, he's short, man. He was short. I know man, he's he was short, short, but I don't know about 5'2", 5'3". That's, that's unbelievable. Hey, 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 when I looked at him, the first thing I thought was there's no way that he could be in movies and all that. You know what I mean? Like, that's short. Maybe 5'5". Five, five. Like, anyone who's under 5'9", to me, looks really short, right? Like, like I looked straight away and I was like, damn, that's – that's really Tom Cruise. And he was maybe the biggest movie star on the planet. And he's just walking around like you are. Uh, okay. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. We're going to, we're going to take maybe a week. Okay. And I want you to do, take some notes on some college hoop guys you want to talk about. And on yep. some NBA, NBA stuff we want to talk about. And this one's about you. And the next one, we'll just talk ball about what's going on. Is that cool? Man. Awesome, man. Let's do man. Whenever with it. All right. Great. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us. I look forward to find out what's next. Take care of that back and those kiddos, and let's talk soon. Man, thanks a lot, buddy. We'll talk later. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, bro. Okay, that's it for my talk with Mark uh, Mark Dickel. We'll uh, we'll pump out another one of these here end of the weekend to give you kind of the landscape of where college basketball sits, especially as we get ready for March. But in the meantime, remember to listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show, 3 to 6 Eastern Time or 12 to 3 Pacific on your Fox Sports Radio Station, your iHeartRadio app, or or via download this podcast, you can download that one. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Don't uh, forget to subscribe, rate, and review, something like that. No, download, subscribe, and rate. And if you write a review, too, I might get a little bit more money out of it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market 
for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.